Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, joining us this week on Rule the Roost podcast, we have Sport Bibles, formerly 442s, Ben Welch. Uh, a, uh, I don't know what I don't know what I can call you, like a, <laughs> a, br- a brother of banter. At the... <laughs> I am the Archbishop of Banterbury. Um, Preaching uh, from the Bible of sport. <laughs> I bloody love banter. I, I mean, as a word, I would put banter up there as a, a word that I would sent to room 101 i don't know if you remember that show i do, uh, I, do. Uh, I hate it but often find myself as a default uh using it to describe the funny stuff that happens on sport bible content and also whenever you're talking to like a player's agent i can't help but my I help myself but say yeah but you know it won't be anything like really serious we'll just be having lots of banter so <laughs> I mean, but like you said, it's just it's become one of those things that's like just common parlance now, isn't it? You know, it's you can't get away from it. Because I, I remember when I was growing up, banter was like the kind of hooray Henry term, you know. Ha ha, yeah. we're going to have a bit of banter today, you know. But... <laughs> it became this word. Basically, what happened is I think it became footballers could never, they couldn't say in interviews, oh, we love taking the piss out of each other. So banter became their default word there to go to. And then once it entered that kind of ecosystem of footballers saying it, then every person's like, oh, they call it banter. We call it banter. Let's let's have lots of banter. We love the banter with the lads. Banter, 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 banter. And then, oh, there's great banter in the dressing room. And it's just like, just fuck off. I don't want any banter. And then people, what was it? What, what was it people used to say? Um, uh, oh, flirty banter. What is it? Flanter. Flanter. A word created. I've luckily escaped that one, but thanks uh, <laughs> thanks for bringing that into my life. Ben. Well, maybe you should watch uh, The Only Way is Essex a little bit more, Jack, and then you'd you'd know about this this great terminology that you can use yourself. Oh, that's true, you know, but I'm, I'm far too highbrow for uh, <laughs> for such for such shows, you know. Um, but if you don't like banter, mate, you know what? What are you, what are you doing coming on a on a North London derby <laughs> podcast, mate? Right. Well, I'd like to say that um, I wish I could come on here and say that I'll get lots of banter from my huge following on social media once I retweet this. But um, I seem to lose followers the more I tweet. So this should this the fact that I'm tweeting that I'm on a Spurs podcast should fall right into the. Um, should just encourage people to unfollow me. I often I have these spells on Twitter. Where I'm like, right, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be good at Twitter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tweet. And uh, don't know if you can hear that. That's my dog. So that's that. That's banter. Um, <laughs> and um, so I'll tweet, and I just seem to lose followers. I think that I'm just not. I'm actually crap at banter on Twitter. 
You, um, you haven't done that thing, have you, where you've been like, look, every, everyone seems to talk about Matt Letissier on Twitter a lot. <laughs> what what sort of tweets does he put out? And then you're like, right, I know, this will work. <laughs> this well, I, this well, will I, get me some notoriety. COVID. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely, I, I don't, I sort of try to think, right, I'm going to really think about this thing that I'm going to say about the game. Um, and then... I've tried to have curated this tweet where it's like trying to sort of break down and I don't do that often what's happened in a game um, and not, nothing like groundbreaking. And then I'll see someone just tweet something like Arsenal shit and it have like 9,000 tweets and I've put all this effort into mine and I've lost followers. I just, I can't, I don't understand it. Was that a bit of side eye at my <laughs> Twitter presence there, Ben? Yeah. Well, listen, yeah, you're... <laughs> I have absolutely. When you uh, sent me your handle, I was like, "Holy shit, this is a big dog on Twitter." So um, I haven't. I what I will say is that four four two. I was so aware of how crap I was at Twitter that um, we got offered um, they'd give us all blue ticks, like irrespective of your following. And I was the only person who refused. I didn't feel like I'd earned it, Jack. I had not earned that blue tick. I wasn't good enough. And also, I felt there was a certain expectation that came with a blue tick that I wasn't going to be able to meet. So, um, is is there that little bit of you now where you're like, I should have just taken the fucking blue tick? Right? I should have done. Yeah. I think people follow you if you've got a blue tick, and I, I, yeah, I wish, yeah, they do. I wish I'd done that. I've, I haven't quite mastered. I, obviously, I follow you know all the Arsenal accounts on Twitter, and there are some really good uh, accounts in there. And I think you know reasonable thinking fans that make um, pertinent points and are not. But then there's other people that I follow, and I just think I know you're tweeting that just to be contrary and get a reaction and and to get followers. And to be honest, it works for them. Um, but I kind of have to stay off there after some results because I know that I'll just get annoyed looking at it. It's gaming, um, the, gaming the system, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's like, and and sort of, you know, when they start having a go at each other and and all that kind of thing, I just, I just get angry at it. Um, more angry than I would say at Arsenal fan TV because Arsenal fan TV is just like a joke. Um, <laughs> when I see actual sort of proper, well, not proper fans, but you know, not non-Arsenal fan TV accounts doing it and. I just think you don't really think that you're just trying to you're trying to get an, a reaction. You're trying to piss people off. You're trying to get you know retweets and stuff like that. And like I say, it works for them. But I, I've never really been able to do that. I'm just crap at it. I've always been quite surprised that it's taken off as much as it has done Arsenal fan TV because I, I know that there's obviously there's a there's a whole generation of people now who are sort of younger than, younger than us who YouTube is a real yeah you know, it's a real, sort of prominent source of information and entertainment everything for them and yeah you can imagine something like Arsenal Fan TV where people can sort of dip into it and know more about the YouTube landscape and everything like that that it's you know it's fairly in keeping with a lot of other things that are on there but it's it's the dads right the dads and that who just see some blokes wearing the same shirt as the team they support shouting stuff that makes them look a bit silly that they don't they don't like it right and i you know it, i i don't particularly sort of i'm not that fond of it either but like spurs they've had a few attempts at getting these kind of like fan channels underway <laughs> and to be honest they usually just get like attacked or something at the stadium 
Like, and I've I've only seen it happen a couple of times to Arsenal fan TV. I think even the Chelsea lot usually get like some sort of pelters from people that don't really like it. But it seems to be quite quite embraced. You know, maybe yeah, it's, it's a it's it's a really strange thing, right? Because if you actually look at it um, without sort of being emotional about it in terms of as an Arsenal fan or, you know, either you're looking at it as a non-Arsenal fan and thinking this is hilarious, which is completely fair. And as an Arsenal fan, you're looking at it and thinking, oh my God, this is an embarrassment. But really, it just follows the template of casting any good reality TV show, right? It's not that the other channels haven't, like, followed the same template, but they just haven't cast the characters. And what you've got... You know, no one wants to watch two reasonable fans or like a set of reasonable fans, like really thoughtful, considered, um, uh, almost self-deprecating um, points about their club. What they want is extreme um, reactions. And then what happens to those people that have now gained the notoriety from doing it is they know that their Twitter following and their social media presence and their um, kind of five minutes of fame is built on the fact that the more extreme my reaction is the more attention I'm going to get. And then obviously I feel like for some of them that has, it's been harmful to some of them, um, but they kind of still do it. They've, they've become addicted to that attention. So then even if I feel like they had a reasonable point of view to make, they know that once the microphone is in their face and the camera's there, and also what you've got to remember is it's not just the reaction they get on social, it's that crowd of people that want to you yeah. know, be a, a peer on it. And they're egging them on, they're cheering, they're laughing. And it's, as with anything, any human being is going to react in that moment and kind of feed off the, the crowd. And, and that's just what happens. Now, obviously, I've been to, I see where the, I know where they, uh, congregate I know where Arsenal fan TV are going to get people to, to talk and I'll kind of always walk past it and I'm just kind of irritated and more like people in the background desperate to get on and what you do what you also see is and no one watches those videos right of the kind of lesser known um, characters but anyone who goes on there just basically tries to imitate what the main protagonists do um, so whether they, they're like right this is my chance I'm going to become a character on Arsenal fan TV um, and then they just do that, and it's just this self-perpetuating thing, and it just becomes a joke. And obviously, there was that. I think there was that little thing last season where um, it was was it outside Palace? I think it was outside Palace. I can't remember, but um, you know, Robbie was no, maybe it was Everton, and Robbie was getting a load of grief outside uh, the stadium, and it was all kicking off, all very embarrassing. Now I've met Robbie um, when I was at four four two. We did an Arsenal fan TV quiz, and I and I met Claude. And when you meet them as human beings, you're kind of a little bit more empathetic to their situation and you listen to them and you kind of know that they're just turning it on for the camera. And I kind of understand why they do that. But at the same time, I think that what they know is that they've, they've now built something that has, is, is built on the success of being kind of being extreme. And they've kind of almost addicted to that. Do you know what I mean? Like their mm. business, their success is now built on that. So they kind of have to, they have to do it. Um, when Arsenal, you know, when Arsenal at the start of the Emery reign, they were like 20 games unbeaten or something like that. We had like a really good start under Emery and the videos weren't performing. Like their videos weren't getting any views because Arsenal were doing well and there was no extreme rage. Um, it's almost good for business when, when Arsenal are doing crap. Now, I don't think that they want Arsenal to be shit, but it, it definitely serves them. Uh, it serves their interest when we are. 
Well, it's, 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 it's funny, isn't it? It's like that whole, the protectionism that people have when they sort of bet against their own team because they're like, well, if we lose, at least I'll make 20 quid or whatever out the back of it, which... Yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't know. I, I Like you say, I, I, I don't want to say that anybody wants their own team to lose, but when someone's livelihood is so attached to it, you, you do wonder if that conflict of interest does start to creep in. So Bellerin said it, didn't he, a few years back about them as well. Yeah. They, they got particularly sort of bent out of shape about that. Um, I think I think they tried to invite him on and he was just like, nah, I'm all right, lads. Like, yeah, I mean, if you, imagine that this is what happens, right? Is This is now, again, like I say, it's a self-perpetuating cycle, right? So say you're a teenage boy, you see that, um, what's his name? Who's the, who's the, who's the, what's the guy's name? Troops, Troops. Yeah. Troops, right? He got a gig. Um, he's got that Barstool sports gig. He has, he's moved to New York. It. Yeah, right. He's, Abamyang's his mate. Um, he was the commentator right on, um, FIFA Volta. FIFA. Yeah. So like you've seen that by being like a, an extreme fan that you have a success you you gain fame you gain money you gain notoriety for it so if you're a teenage boy a teenage boy is an arsenal fan and you see that like what you know what are you going to do and now we live in live in this social media age where everyone's chasing that and it's it, you, that's what happens you see all those kids outside and i i no it's you know it's not representative of all arsenal fans and but it almost becomes a circus like even you know, you come to what you come to what the Emirates. Oh, sorry, if you, they're they're every game. You're as a as a non-Arsenal fan, as the opposition fan, you're going to go and have a look at it. It's become a circus. Like you want to see what it's like. You want to see what it's about. It's you know like how people used to turn up on transfer deadline day and stick dildos <laughs> in the reporters. Here. That is almost what Arsenal fan TV has become. And um, in a, in a way, I think it's a real shame because. I like the premise of it and that, you know, this is an opportunity to fans to get to say what they want, but it's just grown into this monster. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a huge embarrassment it's, now. It's kind of like, you know, when Big Brother first came along, it was pitched as this whole interesting societal, psychological experiment, like, you know, watching people, how they interact when they're kind of, through a lens and all that sort of thing and then like you say that every year when it does come on tv now it just seems to be that they've been briefed to pick the most extreme personalities to stick in a house together and then act surprised when one of them is like massively racist or bigoted or something like that you know it's uh... yeah, it's, it's it's exactly that it's it's exactly the same for Arsenal fan tv it's um it's a you know, there's a real balance to getting that right in terms of entertainment and actually having something that's authentic and real. And also, um, what's the word? It's kind of almost um, having the responsibility of the people, you know, looking after the people that you're putting in front of the camera. Yeah. Like for someone, let's say Claude, you know, is this bloke, he's like, however old he is, he's never experienced any fame like this you know like he's just lit like i don't know the fella but i assume he's just lived a pretty ordinary life i think he worked on the tube or whatever yeah and then he gets his massive fame and with fame he gets he's getting loads of grief on social you know i'm sure he walks down the street and people are shouting stuff at him now you can say part of it that's his fault if you're going to go on camera and act like that then that's down to you but you're talking about a bloke who he doesn't understand the ripple effect of what he's doing um so there's part of it when i look at the channel I just feel like 
it's partly irresponsible to put people like that in front of the camera and you're not going to look after them. Now, they're old enough and they're men and, um, you know, they know how to look after themselves or whatever, but they're also not completely um, aware of the, like I say, I, I reiterate the ripple effect of what happens when you do something like that. So I have a lot of bones uh, to pick of it, but ultimately it's been a successful channel and they're just going to continue to do what they do. To They're the one who's making all the money and they've got, you know, a massive YouTube follower. Robbie's got a Robbie's got a roller, as uh, as people always sort of seem to say. <laughs> um, so you you sort of touched on it there in terms of the, you know, they're going to be doing better when Arsenal aren't doing quite as well. And if we do go on to to the actual football, it's it's not really going to plan. Would you say for Arsenal this season so far? Yeah, I'd say. See, I'm probably again like a a, a pretty boring fan um on the very on the polar opposite of what the sort of social media the social first fan in the sense that don't get me wrong obviously five defeats already in the premier league isn't great um and then i got i get a lot of fans like um from other teams like saying oh i'll tell you the messiah oh you're not laughing now are you and it's like well actually um we complained moaned I mean I think Arsenal fans have been moaning for 15 years that we haven't had a good defence um, since basically Lorenz, Sol Campbell, Cole that kind of back four got broken up so we complain 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 that we can't defend and then we finally get a manager who helps us uh, sort ourselves out at the back and as a trade-off of that I understand that you're going to lose something a little bit going forward now I accept that I can accept that and um, we've been terrible going forward but we have got better defensively so I look at that and I think yeah it's not going to plan but in the evolution of the team under Mikel Arteta I feel like this is just part of this is just one phase of it like you could argue that we got a bit lucky um, to win the FA Cup I think you know that's one thing that Arsenal have always done I was going to say this to you that one of the differences I think between Arsenal and Spurs over the years is when Arsenal have been crap, we've still won stuff. Mm. And I think Spurs have had phases where they haven't been as good, but they just haven't managed to win stuff. And Arsenal, that's maybe like papered over a lot of cracks. Um, so with Arteta, I think he'd done a fantastic job coming in, sorting the team out, um, getting us organised, um, dealing with a, a very sort of broken team, a disconnection with the fans. And this is just one phase. This is just another phase of the evolution of the team. He's brought in Partey. We do need an attacking midfielder. And what I would say is um, probably Arteta as a young coach and inexperienced coach, what he's going through now is he wants to play a certain way. He's learnt a certain way at Man City, but he had players that were able to do that. He comes to Arsenal. He's quite rigid. If you've ever... If you ever listen, well, <laughs> I doubt you bother watching Arsenal games. <laughs> but if you if you do watch an Arsenal game, you don't have the fake crowd noise on and you listen Arteta is constantly almost micromanaging the team so he's he's restricting their freedom and he's got a very set way of a very rigid system which is making us very good defensively but it's almost when you're going forward I think you need more a little bit more freedom to express yourself and um, we we're still finding that so yes I agree it's not going to plan we have been crap but I, I still believe in Arteta and I still think that we will get there, but this is just 
one step along the way. Do you think, see, because I've sort of said it flippantly taking the piss, but I do think there's something in it that... Because what you've outlined there is, it just reminds me a lot of Andre Villas-Boas in the... He he did... I mean, there's a lot of revisionism around him. Spurs fans, a lot of them just sort of detest him now as much as Chelsea fans and everyone else did. But you could see there was a plan to what he was trying to do. And similarly with you uh, and Arteta, he probably didn't have the players in order to do exactly what it is that he wanted to do at Tottenham. Definitely didn't have the resources to to do anything like that. But it, I, I always felt that he fell down a bit just in that kind of the inexperienced side of things that he, he always struck me as somebody that came across with a bit of a an ego, which I think you need to have. Obviously we've seen it like, you know, the young Mourinho and everything like that in the past. Um, that he had a bit of an ego that he perhaps sometimes found hard to to shelve in terms of like if I've got to stick to my guns here and I've got to let them know exactly how I want them to play um, and if I kind of concede on any of that it will be some sort of sign of weakness I mean I'm sort of filling in the blanks myself a bit here but admittedly I'm not basing this on sort of anything other than anecdotes and what we sort of saw happen but because I've heard a few people talk about this with Arteta that he's almost I think it was might have been Gunner Blog or Ask Blog, one of them. Um who one of them <laughs> one, of those, one of those Guna wankers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of them who somehow managed to wangle himself yeah. an accreditation from having a big Twitter account was uh at, at one of the games. Um and he was he'd sort of tweeted out like it was a really positive, good thing. Arteta's micromanaging the team to the to the extent where he's literally I can literally hear him telling players where to play the ball like specifically and things like that. Mm-hmm. And quite a few people were like quote tweeting this being like I'm not sure this is the best thing. Like, you know, I don't really know why we're holding this up as something that's amazing. Um do you worry that like Arteta because I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard because obviously a lot of my my vision is clouded with a conscious or unconscious bias where I just want I want that confirmation bias that it's not going right for Arsenal that it's it's all gonna sort of fall to pieces and all this type of thing. But if I, if I do try to ignore sort of my chimp brain, if you like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's you. you, you, you you can see that Arteta is obviously a, is a is a smart bloke. He's a very sort of considered guy. Um, he seems to have the sort of natural. I mean, he was a he was a fucking fantastic player. Would have been a lot better were he not injured and stuff a lot of the time. He sort of falls into that category, right? And mm-hmm. also probably unfortunate in that he was born around the time of like one of the greatest sort of Spanish football or just football teams ever. Um, and it, but you do just wonder if it's if it is sometimes with this stuff it is just about timing and maybe it it has just come too too soon for him or something i don't know no i i think it's come too soon if you are um if you see if you're perceiving things through the eye of a of a fan and like on social media everything's an extreme right you're either a goat or you're a fraud 
<laughs> and um, there's no kind of messy bit in between, uh, which I think is what is happening now with Arteta. Now, I can definitely understand why people were um, applauding his very um, diligent instructions when he first came, right? Because what Wenger did, if you hear any player that spoke under Wenger, there wasn't really that man-to-man coaching. Um, he, I've read Wenger's, I just read Wenger's book. He was very much about letting players figure it out for themselves. And through that process, they would, you know, um, express themselves creatively and also build their own football intelligence by experiencing the game. That is okay when you've got Dennis Burkamp, Thierry Henry, Robert Pires, etc. When it's younger players who aren't as good, which obviously happened later on, um, and you don't have the kind of other sort of the characters and leaders in the team. And I think that is where Wenger fell down. So Arsenal were crying out fans for like, we need a manager who's going to, you know, you look at Pep Guardiola coming onto the pitch with Raheem Sterling, getting in his face and almost sort of, and we're like, we want a bit of that. We want, we want a manager who's kind of going to really kind of get into every detail. And then you have that of Arteta. And as with anything in management, um, it's about striking the balance. Arteta, as le- as uh, under the tutelage of Guardiola, as you know, we all hear about how intense Guardiola is, Guardiola is, and how and pays attention to all these details. And maybe Arteta has tried to migrate that um, way of working over to Arsenal, and it hasn't worked completely. It has to some degree, and maybe his evolution as a coach and as a team is that. Okay, it worked to begin with because the team needed sorting out and the team were maybe a little bit lost on the pitch. Now, I know they had that, obviously, it didn't replace um, Wenger, he replaced Emery, but I think Emery's communication as well. (laughs) Good evening, and we know we take the piss out of his ability to communicate, but I think um, what I understand from Emery, I understand under Emery as well, that he couldn't express his ideas and that um, it was a massive information overload. Um, So with Arteta, you've got someone who's maybe a better communicator, paying attention, you know, really kind of meticulous over every detail. And what you need is probably a little bit somewhere in between. Now, interestingly, um, I've been writing a, a blog about um, how managers get the best out of their players. And um, what I found was, speaking to different managers and players, was that a lot of managers actually weren't, you know, hands-on on the training pitch. And that would be done by coaches. And that the manager, and I feel like Arteta is a real kind of, you know, on the pitch coach. Mm. And the managers are more about understanding the human beings and being able to find out what they need to make that person tick. Now, I think it's really interesting that you make that reference to Villas-Boas. I'd never thought about that. And now you say it kind of, it strikes a real chord. Is you could tell Villas-Boas, you know, any coaching textbook, get him on the... Tra- I bet his training sessions were brilliant. I've never heard... I've, I'm sure if you've heard of Spurs. I think I may have heard... Did Defoe plan the Villa Spurs? Yes. Yeah, I'm he sure, did for a while. I, I'm sure I've so. heard Defoe say that his training sessions are unreal. Like, he loved them. And I might have got that wrong. Um, and you can imagine that they're really good at coaching and training, but it's the man management stuff. Now, you could look at Arteta and say, well, he got Aubameyang to sign. Okay, fair enough. Um, But human beings are very complicated and there's different nuances to different people's personalities. And like, I don't know enough about Arteta yet as a a man manager, but um, able to sort of get in a galvanising a team of players and 
and and making them believe in themselves um, or giving them the freedom and trust to express themselves. It's really difficult because at the same time, Arsenal fans are sitting there saying, I love, me included, I love the non-negotiables. I love it. I love it. That's what we needed. We needed someone in there to with a bit of discipline. Like Guendouzi. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, uh, he was completely no nonsense with that, wasn't he? Yeah, and I liked that. But then, you know, as of any, when often when you get in, you into these discussions, and certainly in, on social media, everything's black and white. But the reality is, is that it's so much more complicated than that. Um, you know, is Arteta too intense? Um, is he too rigid in the way he works? I don't. You know, you can read as much as you like, but you don't really know. And I think the players are bought into it. But um, when I watch him play now, it's it's, it's self belief and confidence and and. Um, they just kind of look like they're stuck in a system and, you know, playing to playing a game like a paint by numbers game and rather than kind of playing with freedom. Now, I think when you look at Mourinho, um, I feel like he's back in his groove. You know, he, Mourinho, like in this kind of, he loves a roar of attrition, right? He, um, he you know... <laughs> He just he loves the war with fucking anything. Yeah, really, but I think honest. when when you see him like on All or Nothing, now I know he's obviously very conscious of the cameras there and he loves it, but, you know, he's telling them you're too nice, you've got to be nasty cunts. <laughs> and and you're sitting there thinking, he's right, he's right. And you can see all the way through that, that he, he's telling them to be like that. And um, I feel like that's how he's got, he's got the players believing in what is possible. And as with anything, all of it falls down unless you're, you know, if you're successful, then everyone's in, right? You know, it's all it's all predicated on whether you're the the, the players are seeing success and they're seeing that now. And and um, I think that's maybe where Mourinho obviously is a lot further on in our in terms of Arteta is he's is is getting players to he's reaching players, he's he's getting them to he's getting a reaction out of them. Um, and they're starting to buy into what he's about because you're doing well. So maybe that's the difference between the, the two coaches on some level at the moment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, it's interesting just that, like you say about earlier on how you know Arsenal fans have been crying out for a bit of defensive solidity and at the expense of perhaps some of the attacking prowess and free-flowing stuff that you've seen in the past because that's one of the things we're kind of getting at the moment with Mourinho. There's a lot, despite the fact that we're sort of seemingly doing quite well, 
a lot of people really aren't particularly fond of Mourinho um, because you know there's this whole he doesn't play the Tottenham way and I I, I can see that to a degree but you know I'm, I'm 35 years old now and so I've I've had what near enough 25 years of being able to properly remember football and support Spurs to a to a degree where it actually sort of starts to mean something to you and in that entire time we, we've mostly been crap you know like <laughs> we, we genuinely have we've mostly been crap and like you know you, you, you sort of you mentioned already that we can't get it over the line and what well, I mean in my entire in my lifetime you know we we won like a UEFA cup but I was one when that happened or it might have been just a year but I can't remember if it's 84 or 86 um, as the old song says, if you know your history, I've sort of fallen down on that already. But it's a good fucking start, isn't it? Uh, and then I think like 1990, obviously won the FA Cup. And then from that point on, we've won two League Cups. And that's about it. And it does seem to always be that we, we get to this point where... I listened to another interesting podcast this week um, for any well, any Spurs fans, for the Spurs fans listening, it's it's Windy's podcast, The Extra Inch. He's spoken to a sports psychologist this week. And he was just talking about the kind of the mindset and things and the com- the confirmation bias essentially behind things. And he, he made, uh, he was very keen not to use the term Spursy, if you like. And I'm, I'm butchering his sort of very... <laughs> detailed uh, explanation as to the kind of various different things at place. But the long and short of this, you know, a lot of this type of thing is that, you know, he was saying that when he works with players, for example, he was saying that I don't want to get into this rabbit hole of criticizing Mourinho. And I know that Amazon prime are going to show something to a dramatic effect, but he was saying that he was quite surprised that Mourinho's tactic with some of it was to show when players had fucked up, showing them videos of where they've fucked up, if you like. Because what it will often do is, yeah, he was he used this example of like, you know, if somebody's about to take a penalty, you should say, hit it top corner, as opposed to don't miss. Because the second you say to somebody don't miss, they're going to think, fuck, what if I miss? But if you yeah. say to somebody, hit it top corner, they're going to focus on, hitting it top corner and it's just it's these sort of subtle tweaks i i do have a point i'm not just rambling i will get there this is just this is part of my <laughs> the verbose sort of shtick but and and the, the thing that i would say i have noticed with Mourinho is that like because we do talk about Spurs and we talk about arsenal getting things over the line even when you haven't been very good and i mean like i've got my own sort of theories on this i spoke about it before that i think there's a part of it that probably falls under this sort of confirmation bias, but from other people, where I think some of the time you will have, because of the past successes of Arsenal and everything like that, even if you are in a phase right now where you're not kind of peak Arsenal, you've got a whole generation of people playing football now who were probably kids when you were you know, fucking taking our club captain or winning the league at our stadium or doing fucking invincible <laughs> seasons and winning doubles and stuff. So to them, Arsenal are, you're in flux, but you're still Arsenal. And when there's those kind of small clutch moments in big games, they're still going to think maybe second-guess themselves. Even if they're playing for Manchester City or playing for whoever, there's going to be those moments where they're thinking, we can't fuck up here. 
we're playing against Arsenal and there's that fear that comes in. Whereas I think some of the time with teams like Spurs, because we see this a lot, smaller, so-called smaller teams fucking go for us. Like they will properly go for us. And I, I honestly do believe there is that kind of lads, it's Tottenham thing where a lot of other teams will think this is Spurs, we can get at them. So we'll probably play with a bit more freedom that should they play that way against you, they would probably still win as many games as they win against us, if you like. Mm -hmm. But uh, to sort of move this on, it's it's more that one of the things I've noticed recently with Mourinho, and I I was very, very sceptical about us bringing him in, but the past few sort of results in particular, I mean, not so much the City one. I think Spurs, even when we've been in the doldrums, we've always been one of those weird teams that sometimes gets a result against some of the bigger teams and things like that. And, you know, the big teams sometimes have an off day and they can have their own sort of arrogance and things like that. For me, that what Spurs have always been are the team that just sometimes can't just screw on a rational, sort of emotionally stable mature head which probably sounds like quite a good description of myself as well actually but <laughs> but in in some of these games that like we've seen against West Brom like we saw against Brighton um and against Burnley these sort of fixtures are all ones that classically Spurs would either go ahead in and then concede a late sort of equalizer or lose them and then obviously as most as people will always do to West Brom or Burnley or whoever, smash them five nil here and there because that's just what happens to them. But when those other teams sort of manage to execute their plan, it seems to be that Spurs could never. That's where we'd always fall down. We could usually always make a good fist of it in like in big games, generally speaking. But our seasons, I always felt, and our ambitions would always get undermined in these games where people would say, "Well, Spurs should win that." But they don't. And that's where this kind of Spursy stuff comes from. But something that Mourinho's managed to do, really, is get those results over the line. We got nine points from Brighton, uh, West Brom and Burnley. And then we've beaten City. And then we got a draw away at Stamford Bridge. Another result that a lot of people were saying, like, you know, and I'm talking about respected sort of mainstream journalists, basically saying... That's disappointing. Spurs should have gone there and gone toe to toe with Chelsea, when really, like it's it's a result that's kept us top of the league at a stadium against a club that historically we've never ever performed particularly well against, and he of all people knows that. Um, and it ju- it just seems to be that one of the biggest things that he's doing at the moment is potentially shifting that mentality perhaps that you know it seems to be that that's what he's really trying to drum into Tottenham and um, I, I guess this now the North London derby that we're coming into is going to be one of the biggest indicators of that because because to me like I've, I've been sort of saying to you and I'm, I'm not even saying it for the self-preservation banter thing to me the narrative is so set because I've I've seen this before. You know, we saw it before when we went two 0 up at the Emirates and then lost five two, and like the four two as well a few years back when it's Spurs are flying high. They might go for the title this year. Will they? Won't they? 
And then it always tends to be, and then Arsenal are sort of in the doldrums. Arsenal are this spent force. Uh, you know, Spurs are sort of the kings of North London now. They're going to confirm that this weekend. But then generally what happens is, is we come to this game and then Arsenal show up and it just seems to be you're the team that reminds us all the time that we're still not there yet. And to me, that's that my my big fear is that's what this weekend is, that this is going to be set to be that galvanising win for your season. And again, that confirmation that Spurs have not yet turned that corner because, I, I, I mean, it seems to be, I don't know, at the time of recording anyway, there has been this weird flip-flopping about whether or not Lloris is going to be available. Um, and that that is not to sort of overstate it. It it's it, it is huge. I think so much of the fixture hinges on that because our backups are just not of a certain quality at all. Um but if if we do have Lloris, I I I mean I I sort of feel that on paper really we should be winning this game, but just the narrative and everything that I've just outlined there in my like forty-five minute monologue <laughs> would sort of say that you know you can't you cannot go into a game like this North London derby derbies or not. It just seems to be that there is just this history of this confirmation bias from both sides that at the end of the day Spurs go into this going yeah it's Arsenal, if they beat us, they end this run. And Arsenal come into this being like, yeah, we're shit at the moment, but it's Tottenham, come on. We we know how to do this one, boys. I mean... You, unfortunately, you've started to make me... like I'm I'm almost... I'm now annoyed at you because you've started to make me think that we're going to win. And then I was completely convinced that we're not going to... Like, that we're shit. And now you've convinced me that we're going to win. So now I'm going to be even more annoyed when we do lose <laughs> at the weekend. And you talk about your backups. I just Joe Hart is going to come up literally looking like a bloke who's just injected aggression into his fucking veins. He's going to have the game of his life. He's going to be so pumped up, his head's going to explode. And can you imagine Mourinho getting into Joe Hart? He's, it, I mean, Joe Hart, is they're going to have to strap him down. He's going to be so fired up. And he's just going to have this absolute worldy game. Um, he's such a jock, isn't he? <laughs> he's just so. He's so. Um, what I kind of what is the thing with Joe Hart right, is what I've found in recent years. He's been a little bit more um, vulnerable, like yeah. in terms, you know, like explaining himself, like how he's felt. But I always kind of, whenever I've spoke to people about Joe Hart, and I've always felt that he puts on this like. I don't, you know, I don't listen to the papers. I don't, I don't watch social media. I'm not affected. And the bottom line is, Joe, you're a human being, yeah. And you basically got binned by the world's best manager of very little explanation um, and faith, and that's going to damage anyone's confidence. And it's completely okay for you to not feel great about yourself and not be able to make that back. But it's always this kind of impenetrable, impenetrable um, personality that try and put forward that I just felt completely unconvincing and maybe you have to be like that as a professional footballer but I always thought that was maybe a bit of his downfall because rather than being honest with himself he was trying to be someone he wasn't and that like false confidence would make him or compel him to make bad decisions on the pitch Um, in terms of see it's it's weird because basically pre 
you Spurs started getting like when they started getting good, right? It was like around Harry Redknapp era. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Before that, probably Martin Yole a little bit. Yeah, That's, that was yeah. probably the turning point. P- prior to that, I was never worried about Spurs. Like I used to think, you know, it'll probably be a tight game, um, but we're probably going to beat them. Um, um, and then you started to get good, and you started to win games. And then I really, then I started like. Then I started to... It was like I never really hated Spurs that much until that moment. I hated Spurs when we lost the FA Cup semi-final. I cried. Just You can all laugh at that, all the Spurs fans listening. When Gaza scored, um, I was about eight years old, I think. Um, absolutely devastated. My family's like an Arsenal-Spurs split. And the, and the football team that I played for, uh, my family are from Hoxton. Um, and... My football team that I played for at the time was basically an Arsenal-Spurs split. And, you know, so every defeat came with the knowledge that you were going to get battered. Um, so there were moments when I, I I wanted to beat Spurs, like during the 90s and stuff, and obviously, but they never really kind of figured that much. But And it was always Man United. I hated Man United. Like I can't really articulate my level of hatred for United during the kind of Ferguson's peak era and when we were going toe-to-toe of them. Then I kind of started to hate Chelsea. And then Spurs got good. And then it was like, oh, shit, Tottenham are actually decent. Um, I don't like this too much. And now almost every North London derby that we go into, and I never used to have this feeling, was we're going to lose, especially if we went to White Hart Lane. I, I like, I, as much as it pains me to say it, I've been to White Hart Lane a few times and I think the atmosphere is well, I only went, I went to the old White Hart Lane. The atmosphere was decent, and I knew that if Spurs got behind the team, no matter if we had a better, we were better man for man. Certainly in the latter years of the Wenger era, we we were going to struggle, and I always felt like they you you could just get up for it. And um, I hate playing Spurs now. I hate it. Like it's the one fixture I almost resigned myself to losing to like the bigger clubs, uh, like you know well, the teams that were winning, like Man City, Liverpool. I always think we're going to lose to Chelsea. But when it comes to Spurs, I kind of feel, even though the table doesn't reflect that, we're kind of almost level pegging in the sense that Spurs are better than us in recent years in the league. But we kind of just, we, we managed to eke out trophies and winning cups and stuff. And I hate the Spurs game. I can't like, part of me doesn't even want to watch it because I'm just so worried about, you know, like when you're watching North London Derby and you feel like every attack the opposition has is going to end in a goal. It's like, it's this, it's awful. And heading into this game, what I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but previously when Spurs have been good, right, it's not like you've had a manager with the pedigree of Mourinho of winning. And you can tell by all or nothing when he goes in and he has that meeting with Harry Kane and he says, I will not, I will not fucking accept not winning. And it's, that's not just like a, a statement of no substance. His record says that he is a winner. And I think psychologically that, almost has this subconscious shift within not just the team and the players, but the whole staff. You just have to look at his record. I've, I've been looking at it recently. It's insane what he's won. It's incredible. Yeah. And I feel like Spurs, Jonathan Wilson wrote a really good piece on The Guardian um, about Mourinho sort of back in pickpocketing the sort of, I think the head, headline was like Mourinho pickpocketing the big clubs again. He's sort of, he's found his home again. If you look back through his career, underdogs, Porto, mm. um, it goes to Chelsea. Now, they, they weren't underdogs, but they were a team that had hadn't won really the won Premier it. League, yeah. yeah exactly. So now, you know, that's kind of, he can create that siege mentality. Then he goes to Madrid where there's an expectation to win. It's a different 
you can create a kind of siege mentality and everyone hates us, but there's an expectation too weird. He's not going in to a club um, that doesn't expect to win. Real Madrid expects to win. And also he manages during the era of probably one of the greatest, you know, not what, one of the greatest football teams ever. And then he goes to Man United. Again, it's another, it's another shift in the sense that Man United expect to win. Now, I know they've gone for a bad period when he comes in, but they expect to win. He wins two trophies in his first season. Um, I feel like Spurs, it's almost like the perfect storm for him a little bit. And I was speaking to a sports psychologist for this piece that I've been blogging about. And like what you get with Mourinho, and you kind of touched it upon it earlier, is it's a high challenge environment, right? And it can be high risk. So you're almost, you know, like how he's gone with Deli Alley. So he's almost like he's trying to provoke him. Is he going to get reaction now? I think he tried to do similar things at Man United with Pogba and it didn't work. Mm. But what he's done at Spurs maybe is he's got the protagonists, the the, 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 the the figureheads of the team in the dressing room, the people that run the dressing room, the people that, you know, he's got Kane on board. He's, he's getting those key people on board and they're buying into it and he's making them believe they can win. And he's not just saying it. Like any manager can go in there and say, we're going to win. I believe in you. Mourinho has won. So there's something that they can buy into and they're getting results and um, almost being that team that, you know, that no one, fa- you can create a siege mentality with a team that hasn't won. You know, they don't fancy us. They've written us off. Um, we're going to show them. And I think, I, I, I mean, I literally can't tell you how much I'd hate it, <laughs> but I, I feel like if Mourinho can guide the team, say the team starts going for a bit of a rough patch if he can guide the team through that, then they're really in with a chance this year. And then, for me, it's like, who would I hate to win it? I, I mean, it would... I, I, Yeah, it'd be... I mean, it'd be... If Spurs win it, it's just... That just then creates a further... A bigger gap between us. You're going to be able to attract players. You're going to be in the Champions League again. You're The team, you know, it's that first trophy... You've seen like Klopp's done it with Liverpool. You win the Champions League. Now we're going to win the Premier League. Then then this gap between Arsenal and Spurs, it may widen. And that, to me, is an absolutely terrifying prospect because we could end up finishing something like ninth or eighth or tenth again and Spurs are winning the Champions League, you know, and then we're in real bother. And does this start, is this the start of like a, a Tottenham era? Mate, I, I know what you're trying to do here. Because like, what I've done is, I got, I got you excited about the North London derby. So now what you're doing is you're deflecting and being like, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build up his muggy little Tottenham dreams <laughs> so that when it all falls to pieces, I can I can sit there beaming in the office. When, 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 they've, when, they've, when Harry Kane has slipped on the last day of the season and let fucking, I don't know... Whoever, Jamie Vardy, I think we're playing Leicester on the last game of the season. Let him in to score to hand the title to Liverpool on the last day. You're going to be like, oh, you know, mate, you gave it a go. You know? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what it is. Like, it's, it's kind of a weird one, right? Because we, it's like, the, it's almost the, it's the, it's the condition of, the human condition of being a football fan, right? You just, no matter what your team does or how successful or how well they're doing at that time, you just can't help be negative. It's just almost impossible. I mean, even even when Arsenal were really good um, during that period under Wenger at the sort of turn of the century, 
even when we're smashing teams, I still distinctly remember sitting through games like, you know, I think we played, it's an away game with Leeds, I think during the Invincible season, I can't remember, we battered them like 4-0 or something like that. But for some reason, games like that stick in my mind. And I remember thinking, oh, we're not, we're not going to win today. We've got no chance. We're, we're not going to do it. We're, this is the, we're going to get there and they're going to get a bunk star, so we're, gonna, we're not going to fancy it. And I still just used to always think that we were going to lose. No matter how good we were, I just assumed that we would fuck it up. Yeah, and, I, I had mates who supported Liverpool even last year you know, when they were, what, like 15 points clear and it was just, you know, they had to, whatever, draw like two games to win the league. And I still had mates then who were like, I'm not, I'm literally not celebrating this until, like, until I can see, you know, Jordan Henderson lifting the Premier League trophy. Like, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not going to do it because I still feel that, you know, Gerard Slip or whatever, Chris Stamble, like, <laughs> it's just, like, I cannot do this yet. Um, yeah, I mean, like, we've... With Spurs winning, obviously, you know, it would it would be horrific for me. But I should I should say that I was when we both teams got to European finals, and there were Arsenal fans saying I'd rather lose than Spurs win. That's weird. Like, I don't. Like yeah, that, I, I was like, are you are you insane? Yeah. Was, like to me, that that was absolute nonsense. I was like. I always want to win. I don't yeah. want us. To, and we're and we're playing Chelsea, and you want to lose to Chelsea. Like I hate Chelsea. Why, why, why do you want to lose? Like I don't. It's almost to me. Why do I care if we win? Why do I care if Spurs win? Kind of thing. Like I want. I'm more concerned about my own team and winning. If they win, so what? If we win a European trophy, and in my lifetime, we've never won. A Europe, I think we've only, Arsenal have only ever won one European trophy. I've been to two European cup finals. Winners, cup, wasn't it? Uh, Alan yeah. Smith, I think. Oh no, sorry, two. We won, I think we've won two then. Oh no, maybe that. I feel like no, we lost to Valencia in a final. Yeah, we won. So the cup winners, cup winners, we've scored. I went to the cup winners cup the year after when Naeem scored from the halfway line. Wee. Another another <laughs> amazing moment for you guys, which was. We'll and put I that, cried. We'll put that one in our trophy cabinet, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> I cried. It's a bit spicy. Was, I, I I cried. Uh, me and my mate, my dad took me and my mate. Um, I was like mid-teens at that point, and then, and I went to the Champions League final. We lost. Another nice story for you is that when I went to the Champions League final, me and my mate got tickets by. A, we won a um, a ballot on UEFA. And I was sitting next to a Spurs fan um, <laughs> in the kind of neutral section. And this geezer was absolutely battered. And he's like giving me loads of grief. And I was saying to him, I was like, mate, how much is money? I mean, maybe you could say that is true dedication to the Spurs cause. But I was thinking, you've come all this way to Paris, spent all this money, and you've come to watch a team that you hate. Now, on the flip side, I get it. It's like, was it worth every penny to see them lose their, like, the biggest final, the biggest game in their history? Um, Still a bit sad, though, isn't it? Really? Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I was yeah. thinking. It is, it is absolutely hammering me because he was pissed out of his face. Um, so, yeah, I, I would have taken that Europa League win all day and let, let Spurs win the Champions League. I want to win the Europa League. Um, but if they enter some sort of era of success now, it will be... More, it will be worse because Arsenal are so far behind. I'm conscious that uh, we're running out of time here, mate. So I'll just ask you for before we do bring it to a close. You got a score prediction for the weekend? 
Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the kicker, mate. It's always the oh, one. Everyone um, hates it. Um, what do I think? I think that... Uh, I'm just... You've, it's your fault because I had <laughs> I had in my head that we were definitely losing, and now you've convinced me of this like the perfect conditions for an Arsenal win. Um, if it uh, if it helps, I've gotten low low key confirmation that Larissa is going to be missing. Okay, I feel like when it Spurs. They drew three all in the week. Who, you, what was the result before that? What was the Spurs result before the Euro game? Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that's quite a good result though. And what about before that? Uh, it was another. I think it was another Europa League, or no? Or was it international yeah. break? Yeah, maybe it was international. Um, gonna... First league game before that was Man City two 0 I've, I, I, I literally I can't come on a Spurs podcast and say that Spurs are going to win. I just that is complete and utter betrayal. Um, I'm going to go two-one Arsenal, and I'm uh, definitely convinced there's going to be some VAR penalty decisions that are going to piss everyone off. There's going to be some sort of VAR controversy, offside penalty, but I'm going to go with an Arsenal win. Because I mean I, I don't I, I don't believe what I'm saying in any way shape or form I'm lying because I can't come on a Spurs podcast and predict the Spurs win. All right, Ben. All right, well uh, I hope you're wrong, but I've got a bad feeling that you you're spot on. Um, but... What's the, I need to know your prediction now, Jack. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a bit more high scoring. I think. I'm going to say 3-2 Arsenal. I hate to say it, but I, re- I just think Lloris missing is is huge. I think it's huge. I think we can get at you, but any sort of shot that Hart faced... Literally, I think <laughs> I think the, the team had four shots on target the other night, and they scored three of them. Um, and some of them were awful. Like, at least two of the goals were not good. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, three two Arsenal, annoyingly. But uh yeah, cheers mate, and I'll uh, I'll let you get on your way. Enjoyed it, cheers mate. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 